Hey guys, thank you so much for joining us for the NCC podcast. God is doing so many great things in our community, and I trust that he's doing great things in your life as well. And I trust that God is going to speak to you through this message. So I like teachers that tell me what I'm going to learn. So I'm going to tell you what we're going to learn and how it's going to go tonight. First, we're going to dive in briefly to the history of singing as an expression of worship. And then second, we're going to answer five questions about singing as an expression of worship. And then third, we're going to practice. Come on. Hey, we're going to practice. Um, So here we go. Let's dive into the history of worshiping God through singing. First thing I want to do before we go into that, and it's on your handout if you have it, I want you to know who invented singing. Anybody? Anybody? God. Yes. God invented singing. Okay, good. Who said that? Oh, I don't have any candy to throw at you. So if you don't know, when I teach, I usually throw candy out, and I forgot to get candy. It's fine. So God invented singing, and and it's a little-known book in the Old Testament, but I, I, I say read it. Just Google, like, God singing. There's a scripture in Zephaniah that talks about God sinking over his people. I don't know about you, but that kind of gives me chills to think about God singing over us. In fact, God created all expressions of worship because he is the creator of every good thing. So when we think about singing or playing instruments or clapping or dancing, we understand that all of that creativity originated with our creator. So we see the first song in the Bible in Exodus 15, verses 1 through 18. Exodus 15, 1 through 18. And in these 18 verses, what's happening is the people of Israel are recounting God's victory over Pharaoh and his army. Y'all, everybody know the story, right? God led the Israelites out of Egypt, and he parted the Red Sea, and they've watched all of Pharaoh's chariots and army get clamored, clamored, I just made that up, get, I don't know, (laughs) they've watched them go under, they've watched them drown, and now they're on the other side, and Moses leads them in this song. It's so cool. So I'll just read the first six verses, Exodus 15, 1 through 6, I think we have it, yep, up there for you. It says, I will sing to the Lord, for he is highly exalted. Both horse and driver he has hurled into the sea. The Lord is my strength and my defense. He has become my salvation. He is my God, and I will praise him. My father's God, and I will exalt him. The Lord is a warrior. The Lord is his name. Pharaoh's chariots and his army he has hurled into the sea. The best of Pharaoh's officers are drowned in the Red Sea. The deep waters have covered them. They sank to the depths like a stone. Your right hand, Lord, was majestic in power. Your right hand, Lord, shattered the enemy. Ooh. Here in this first song of praise and worship recorded in the Bible, we see two things. Number one, we see the Israelites acknowledging God's identity. They acknowledge his identity. They say, you're Lord. They say, you're our victor. 
You're our salvation. You're our warrior. You're our strength. So they're, they're telling God who he is. And as they are doing that, what do you think's happening? They're reminding themselves <laughs> of who God is. Number two, we see them acknowledging God's victory. They're acknowledging God's victory. Notice, they give God all the credit for getting them across the Red Sea. They say, you hurled the chariots and the army into the sea. You shattered the enemy. They're telling God what he has done, and they're reminding themselves of what God has done for them. And this is what we do when we sing, right? When we come in here on Sundays, when we sing in our homes, when we sing in our cars, when we worship God, that's what we're doing. We're saying, God, this is who you've been to me. This is who you are. And as we do that, we're actually reminding ourselves of what God has done and who he is. There's another song that we find in the Old Testament, Judges 5. Judges 5, we find a song that's 30 verses long. I really, I mean, I encourage you to go read both of these songs fully in your own Bible reading time. This is called the Song of Deborah and Barak. Anybody know the story of Deborah? She's a woman. Hey, we just studied Deborah, some of us uh, together. Um, She's a woman leader in Israel, the first and the only that we know of. She was a judge in Israel. This was before Israel had kings. And Barak is a warrior or a soldier, and they together have just won this really awesome victory. And after this victory, it's so profound that the land has rest for 40 years. If you've ever read the book of Judges, you know that's phenomenal. Because the book of Judges is basically a judge comes, the people do stupid stuff, then Israel gets taken back over, and then another judge comes. It's like over and over and over. They're just messing up. So 40 years of peace is a big deal. And this is the song that they sang, just five verses of it. It says, Israel's leaders took charge, and the people gladly followed. Praise the Lord. Listen, you kings. Pay attention, you mighty rulers. For I will sing to the Lord. I will make music to the Lord, the God of Israel. So they're not just talking to God. Who are they talking to there? Their enemy. They're like, guess what? My God. My God is good. My God is great. Lord, when you set out from Seir and marched across the fields of Edom, the earth trembled and the cloudy skies poured down rain. The mountains quaked in the presence of the Lord, the God of Mount Sinai, in the presence of the Lord, the God of Israel. And I put those there because I just think they're so interesting. God knows what he's done, right? He was there, but they are recounting word for word what happened. And again, I don't think it's just about them telling God what he's done. This is about them reminding themselves and the generations after them who God is and what he is capable of doing. Any song people in the room? Any people who like like our music people? Anybody? In the shower? Okay. Listen, 
If you're a music lover, if you're a music person, just try. Write a song about what God has done for you. Maybe write it out as a poem, write it out as a whatever, and put it somewhere so that you can give it to the generations to come. Remind your family of what God has done for you. So we have these two very important songs of worship, one found in Exodus, the other in Judges. But then after all of those history books in the Old Testament, we get into this beautiful collection of poems and songs. And what is that called? Psalms. Good. Okay, I should stop asking. I have nothing to throw at you. I almost threw my phone. That's how I'm like, no, don't do that. You can't have my phone. <laughs> Poetry and songs. Psalms. Psalms. These are some fun facts about Psalms. Psalms is the most quoted Old Testament writing in the New Testament. Ooh, Bible class. And depending on the commentary um, that you read, the, the numbers vary, but it's quoted over and over again at least 30-something times. And the reason for that, a lot of scholars believe, is that psalms were regularly sung in the synagogues and the temple, in their homes and for their feasts and for their celebrations. And so even if people didn't really know a lot of the Torah or the, the Bible at the time, they would know the psalms. They would be able to sing the songs. So cool. And this is another fun fact. Psalm 22.1, Jesus quotes Psalm 22.1 from the cross. And what does he say? He says, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? That's a psalm. It's interesting. So this book of poetry and songs was so important to the people of Israel and the writers of the New Testament and to Jesus. And we cannot talk about the psalms without talking about King David. He is accredited with writing over half of the Psalms. We all know David is famous for what? What did he do? He killed. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Y'all can talk to me. It's fine. It's okay. If you say the wrong thing, no one's going to like, it's fine. He killed Goliath. But that was just one act. What David is really famous for, if you read like First Chronicles and First Samuel and read the history, he was a worshiper. He was a lover of God. And God calls David a man after his own heart. It's so cool. So though singing and Hebrew poetry predated the arrival of King David, he's the one that made it a part of the regular worship. So when the people, there's a story in the Bible where they're bringing the Ark of the Covenant into Jerusalem. Um, and this is when David sets up this whole thing of worship. So 1 Chronicles 15, 16. Let's see that. So David told the leaders of the Levites, these are the people like the pastors, the people who attended in the temple, to appoint their fellow Levites as musicians to make a joyful sound with musical instruments, lyres, harps, and cymbals. So there was a church band long ago, Okay. We didn't make that up in our century. First Chronicles 15.22, Kenaniah, the head Levite, was chosen as the choir leader because of his skill. So we see the first choir being formed. And from that time on, it is understood that singing was a regular part of the Israelites' worship. How cool is that? 
The children of God were singing people in Bible times, and they are still singing people today. And one of the reasons I think, and I'm a little biased in this area, so I'm always like, why do you want me to teach this coach? Because I'm just like, you should sing. That's what I want to say. But I think one of the reasons is because expressing ourselves through music and song is one of the most tangible and powerful things that we get to do individually and corporately. Have you ever been in this room when all the voices are just singing out? that feeling you get, that thing that kind of, I've never felt this before. There's something so special about it. I think it's truly so, it's natural, right? It permeates every part of our culture. It's how we learn, right? How'd you learn your ABCs? That was a song. Let's sing along. A, B, C, D, E. Oh, somebody's got a bass over here. I like it. I like that. That was, was that you, Mr. David? I think so. Hey, coach said you got to celebrate everything. So let we just celebrate that. That sounded good. It's how we celebrate, right? Happy birthday to you, right? It's how we party. It's fun to stay at the can we sing that in church? It's fun to stay. Okay, I'm just kidding. It's just a part of who we are, right? We get it. I love this. We are literally wired for sound from our ears. Think about this to our vocal cords, to the sounds our hands make when we clap. We were made by God to make some noise. We were made for this. So if singing isn't accepted and celebrate part of our heritage, if it's normal, if it's natural, what keeps some people from singing to God? Let's talk about that. That's our first question. What keeps us from singing to God? Number one. I can't sing. Ah, uh, I can't sing. And when people say that to me, I love to correct them and say, no, you don't like the sound you make when you sing. But you can sing. I love this definition of sing for all of you who can't sing. To make a shrill whining or whistling sound. There you go. That's you. No, I'm kidding. Stop. That's you. Okay, you don't have to, you don't have to confess. Oh, okay, it's fine. I can't sing. You know, we may not like the way we sound, and we don't have to be good enough for the music team, but that's okay. God is not looking for perfect singers. He's looking for worshipers. We have to, and, and, and I think we have to fight that because of our culture, right? We have entertainers, even in the Christian community now. We have all these famous singers and worship leaders, and you just kind of go, I can't do that. That's okay. You don't have to do that. That's not what this is about. It's about you telling God who he is and what he has done. I don't know the songs, I don't know the songs. I've heard it all. Listen, join the club. I don't know the songs. I'm up in here with my eyes wide open on Sunday talking about, you know, you just trying to get it. Thank God for these lyrics up here. Shell, is that how I'm sounding? Something like that. Is that how you're sounding? That's how Pastor Phillip's sounding. I'm just, he's not here, so I can say it. No, he would say that to you. My daughter, actually, I'm just going to tell this now. <laughs> she sang here on Sunday. She was singing Joy. Y'all know Joy? 
And Pastor Philip was singing so loud. She, when she got home, she was like, Mom, I was trying to tune him out. He was like, oh, oh, oh. But he's the first one to tell you. He cannot sing, but that is not going to keep him from worshiping God. Okay, that's a total side note. He's not here, so I did that, and I'll probably get in trouble later, but it's fine. I don't know the songs. The only way you get to know the song is if you get to know the song. At some point, we just have to start singing along, right? Oh, this is a good one. My heart's not in the right place. Ooh, that sounds holy. That sounds holy. Again, to that, I'd say join the club. Nothing gets your heart right like worshiping God. Have y'all experienced that? You having a bad day, you did that thing again, and then you turn on some worship music, and you just start singing along, and then all of a sudden, everything begins to change. This is a good one. The music team does a great job. I have heard that one. The music team does a great job. They don't need me singing. Listen, the music team, they're not entertainers. They're not entertainers. Their job, their service, if you will, is to help us all enter in to the presence of God. You don't have to be a professional singer. I'm an introvert. Ooh, I get this one. I'm an introvert. It's not up there. It's fine. Who said that before? Oh, okay. Stop touching each other. What is happening? This is what I say to people who say things like that. Are you a saved introvert? (laughs) Good. The God who made you knows you're an introvert, but he still wants you to sing. I don't want to draw attention to myself. Ooh, I've got that one too. And to that I say, good, because it's not about you anyway. Just sing. What else keeps us from singing? Three things really quickly, and this is, the first one's a little dangerous, and it's pride. There was a man we knew years ago, went to this church, doesn't go here anymore, but he always stood with his arms folded during the singing part of our service. And so finally, I don't know how we had this conversation, but my husband was actually the one who had the conversation with him. And he just said, oh, I don't have to do all that. And we were like, that's your answer? (laughs) Like, what? Sometimes it's just pride. We don't want to look foolish. Whatever it is. Number two is fear. You know, I've learned over the years, the reason people don't do a lot of things, like pray, pray for people, pray out loud, even read their Bible, is they think, I'm going to do it wrong. If you're worshiping God from your spirit, with all your heart, you cannot do it wrong. Number three, a simple lack of understanding. And that's why we have Bible class. Because honestly, we have so many new believers. We have people who have never been taught the fundamentals of the Christian faith. And they just don't understand why they're supposed to do the things we're saying they're supposed to do. So why should we sing? That's our second question. Number one, we sing because we are instructed to. We are instructed to. Psalm 96, 1 through 6 says this. 
Sing to the Lord a new song. Sing to the Lord all the earth. Are you included in all the earth? Am I included? Okay. Sing to the Lord. Praise his name. Proclaim his salvation day after day. Declare his glory among the nations, his marvelous deeds among all peoples. For great is the Lord and most worthy of praise. He is to be feared above all gods. For all the gods of the nations are idols. But the Lord made the heavens. In other words, God is real and he's alive. Splendor and majesty are before him. Strength and glory are in his sanctuary. We are instructed to sing to the Lord. Number two, because God is worthy of our praise. I'm telling you, we could stop there. He's worthy of our praise. We sing out of obedience, yes, but we also sing because God is supreme. He is the best. There is no one like him, and there never will be. We sing if for no other reason than we once were lost, but now we're found. And for the rest of our lives, he will be worthy of our praise for only that reason. When I was the kids pastor here, before we would sing, because this is like a big deal for me, I just didn't want kids like not understanding what they were doing. We would always say, we sing, we dance, we praise, we clap our hands because he's worth it or something. I don't even remember the melody now. It's been so long. But I'll never forget that. I finally start seeing kids get it. And they would say it all of a sudden. They would just say with such energy, we sing, we praise, we dance, we clap our hands. Not so people can look at us and say, good job. Not so we can be up on the stage. We do it because he's worth it. He's worth it. Number three, and we've talked about this, but because we need to remind ourselves of the truth. Come on, how many of you get beat up during the week? I work at the church, and I get beat up during the week. <laughs> we need to remind ourselves of the truth. I love this. There's so much science behind this. It, it says repetition creates long-term memory by eliciting or enacting strong chemical interactions at the synapse of your neuron Okay, nurses and doctors, you understand what I'm saying. <laughs> Where neurons connect to other neurons. Repetition creates the strongest learning and most learning. Both implicit, like tying your shoes, and explicit, like multiplication tables. All of those things rely on repetition. In other words, repetition builds cognition. I think this is so cool. I love the science behind stuff. The truth about who God is and who we are gets embedded, think about this, into our brains. And it can inform our emotions and our decision-making. Singing. We sing because we need to remind ourselves of the truth. We need to repeat it over and over and over again. And let me say, especially in the age that we're in. Because there are a lot of truths going around. 
If you watch the news lately, been on social media, oh, there's so many, and some of them are sneaky. Oh, they sound good. They kind of say, well, maybe, maybe God would, right? So we get things like singing to help us embed the truth in our hearts and our minds, number four, because we are in a battle. Ever been in a battle? In your marriage, in your family? How many of you had to worship your way through it? Come on. I know I've had to do it. We fight with our worship. We praise our way through. And that's what Pastor Philip always says. That's why he's singing so loud, and it looks like he's about to jump up on the stage. Because he sees himself fighting the devil, like smacking him in the face while he's praising God. You don't have to do that, but you could if you want. Number five, we sing because we are people of faith. Come on, are we faith people? We're not just coming to church for fun, right? We're people of faith. We sing by faith and not by sight. We're not singing songs because our life is perfect. We're singing songs because Jesus is perfect. Our life doesn't have to be perfect. You don't have to feel right. Everything doesn't have to be going right for you to worship God. Third question, where and when should we sing? Number one, we should sing privately. Privately. Singing on Sunday morning will not make you a worshiper. Newsflash. I think you guys know that, but just in case. It takes practice. It's a habit. James Clear, he's an expert on habit formation, and this is what he says. He says, habits form based on frequency. We have to build this habit of singing and worshiping God into our lives. When we think back on King David and how he wrote over almost half the Psalms, right, I always think about him being alone in the field, a little shepherd boy, right, taking care of the sheep. And there he's writing psalms. He begins this practice of worshiping God in private. And I love it because then you get this wild story when they're bringing the Ark of the Covenant, which was this box that housed the actual presence of God. And David is worshiping so wild that he flashes the crowd. Okay, it's in the Bible. You can read about it. But he doesn't even think about it. He's just so in love with God that he is just going for it. Let me tell you, you don't get like that in public unless you've been doing that in private. We have to worship in our private lives, in our private times. Practically, how do we do that? In your car. Turn it up. Anybody like me? I think people on airline think I'm crazy. Because I'm like, you know, oh, the light's green. Sorry, don't honk at me, you know. Turn it up in your car, in your bathroom. Who likes to sing in the shower? Come on, don't sing your favorite country song. Sing your favorite worship song. Try something new. In your kitchen, while you're cleaning the kitchen, at your desk. Listen, if you can't sing out loud, sing in your mind. We have to do this privately. We have to worship God in this way. But number two, we get to do it corporately. And I just love that. 
when should we sing corporately? Whenever we're together. Whenever we can. The Israelites sang together every time they got together for celebrations, for feasts. Jesus, I love that. Jesus sang with his friends. You know, the night he was betrayed, the Bible says that they took the first communion and then they sang a hymn together. Can you just imagine that? Jesus is singing about his father with his friends. Oh, I think that's a beautiful picture. The early church, as they gathered in each other's homes, they were singing together. Ephesians 5.19 says this. It says, speak to one another with psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs. Sing and make music in your hearts to the Lord. And I'm telling you, I am waiting for the day when this is our 13th house habit. Y'all are not going to know what to do with me. I'm just going to walk up to you singing. Right? No, I'm not going to do that. I want to do that all the time. I do. But this is what Paul is instructing. He actually instructs them another place to do the same thing. When you greet each other, don't greet each other with, uh, uh, greet each other with, this is the day that the Lord has, right? How could things change? I know it sounds crazy, but let's just go there. How could things change if we started greeting each other like that? With psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs. So cool. Fourth question, how should we sing? How should we sing? Colossians 3.16 says this, Christ's message in all its richness must live in your hearts. Teach and instruct one another with all wisdom. Sing psalms, hymns, and sacred songs. Sing to God with thanksgiving in your hearts. I love that. We should sing to God with thanksgiving in our hearts. We should sing to God from our hearts with all of our hearts. This is the beautiful thing about expressing our worship in this way. We get to do it literally with all that we are. Again, let's a little science behind it. Singing is one of the rare functions we humans do that engages our entire brain. How cool is that? You think God knew that? I think so. We're engaging our frontal lobe, our temporal lobe, our occipital lobe, our cerebellum, our prefrontal cortex, our auditory cortex. I can't even say these words. Our (laughs) our limbic system. Everything is firing. Everything is engaging. While we're singing, our memories, our emotions, our understanding, our very soul is engaged. How cool is that? There's three things that will help you focus while you worship, that will help you engage while you worship. I want to give these to you. I always teach so fast, y'all. I'm trying to, I'm going to keep it, I'm going to slow down. I'm going to slow down because Heidi's going to kill me. (laughs) Number one, seizing the moment. Seizing the moment. When you get ready to worship God, pause and clear your mind. If you have to say a little prayer, if you have to change your posture, 
Stand up, sit down, lay down, whatever you have to do, but get your mind right. Tell yourself, I am about to worship God. My checklist can wait. The dishes can wait. What we're going to eat at Don Juan's after church, come on, that's me, can wait. I'm seizing this moment. I'm taking hold of this moment. I will not waste it. I will give God my full attention. Number two, something that has helped me and so many people who are on the music team over the years is seeing him. Pastor Philip talked about this on Sunday. Wasn't Sunday amazing, y'all? And he talked about getting a vision for what you want to see. And that's so important when we're worshiping God, especially when we're singing. We need to be able to go somewhere in our mind. You know, I go, and I don't know if it's accurate. I'll see it when I get to heaven. (laughs) But in my mind, I visualize myself standing in the throne room of God, just little old me, and there's all this light, and I'm just singing. I'm just singing. There's a worship leader who I love. Um, She's actually at another church now. And she said when she worships, she pictures no one else is in the room, and Jesus is just sitting there, and she's singing to him. Whatever you have to do, go there in your mind. Think about the empty tomb. Sometimes that's what I do. Think about the cross. Think about all he's done for you. Whatever it takes, visualize Jesus. This is why it helps when we close our eyes. Anybody got like ADHD, adult ADHD, or you think you do? I know I do. If I was to sit in the back row, I'd just be watching all of y'all. I'd be like, oh, look, there's Amanda. Oh, look at, you know. This is why it helps when we close our eyes. Because we can just kind of go there. Number three. And this is Pastor Phillips, singing out, singing out, no matter what it sounds like, come on, no matter how it feels, whether the song is old or new, God is the same, and he's worthy of praise. So just sing out. I don't know the song. Well, mouth the lyrics. Close your eyes and focus on Jesus. Lift your hands and sway and try to sing it. Play it again on your phone and try to catch on with the lyrics. You know, I love this. Even the hearing impaired can worship in this way. Paul writes in Corinthians about singing to God in your mind. I love that. Everybody can sing to God. I asked some other people what they thought. What order should this be in? Because I was thinking, well, first you seize the moment. You get your mind right, right? Then you picture Jesus, and then, ooh, and then you just start to sing. And then I started talking to other people, and they were like, well, that's not what I do at all. (laughs) I actually have to see him first. Then I start singing out. And all of a sudden, I've seized the moment and nothing else matters. And I'm not thinking about anything else. Some people I know said they just have to sing out first. 
If, you've, if you're on a church staff, that's what you have to do. Because on Sunday mornings, we're thinking about 857 things that you guys do not have to think about. Praise God. And so when we walk in here, we just have to start singing. And then all of a sudden, we've seized the moment, and then, ooh, there goes Jesus. And we just sing with all of our hearts. Some people have to take a deep breath. <sighs> Let go of all the cares and the worries. Seize that moment. Then start singing out, and then they begin to see him. Whatever you have to do, in whatever order you have to do it, do it. It's too important. It's too important. Especially when we're in here together. Think about it, guys. We get to sing together for like 15 minutes. And for some of you, you're like, it feels like an hour. I know. But it's 15 minutes out of a whole week that as the body of Christ we get to come together and declare who God is and what he's done. We need to get to church on time. <laughs> we don't need to miss that. We don't come together just to hear a message. The reason we actually come to this room is so we can be together. Fifth question. What happens when we sing corporately? When we sing corporately, I love the word we, because we live in such an individualized culture, don't we? Everybody's got a brand. Everybody's got a whatever. There's something special about we. When we sing, we are collectively, number one, humbling ourselves. We are collectively humbling ourselves. We are singing about how big God is and how much we need him. It humbles us. It reminds us, I am not God. <laughs> you are. That can be humbling, but we need to be humbled in that way. Number two, we are collectively declaring who he is. And we're also reminding ourselves of who we are. And we need that, don't we? Because the world is trying to tell us who we are. Our friends are trying to tell us who we are. The enemy is in our heads trying to tell us who we are. We need to remind ourselves of who we are. The third thing we're doing is we are celebrating the victories of the past, the present, and the future. I love the song, Oh, Praise the Name. We talk about what Jesus did on the cross. We talk about the resurrection, and then it ends by saying, he shall return in robes of white. The blazing sun shall pierce the night. We remind ourselves that this is not our home, <laughs> and that one day Jesus will come back we're doing so many things. And the last thing we're doing is we're exalting God, but we are also encouraging one another. You know, Destiny says this sometime, and I love it when she reminds us of this. You know, sometimes people come in here and they're just so broken. They're just so broken. All they can do is cry through worship. I went through a time like that when I was first saved. I had come out of an abusive relationship. I had come out of all of this dysfunction. 
And any time I got into the presence of God, I wanted to do other things, but all I did was cry. And I can remember how it felt as I'm standing there crying, God help me, hearing everyone around me declaring who God was and what he had done. When we sing, we get to encourage one another. But when we sing, we're doing something else that's so incredibly beautiful. Let's talk about science one more time. <laughs> Who loves science? Come on. We're my science lovers. Yes. Nerds unite. Okay. Researchers in Sweden monitored the heart rates of singers as they performed a variety of songs. And this is what they found. They found that as the members sang in unison, their pulses began to speed up and slow down at the same rate. How cool is that? When we sing the same song at the same time in the same room or over Zoom or wherever, our heartbeats are synchronized. We are, in a sense, becoming one. And I just like to think science is just always figuring out what God has already, like, put out there, right? When all of his people would gather for the feast and they would all begin to sing the same song, God knew what was happening. They didn't have the science that we have. But they were, in a sense, becoming one, one rhythm, one heartbeat. And isn't that what God wants for the church? Jesus, the night that he was betrayed, he prayed in John 17. He prayed that every believer would be one the way that he and the Father were one. Think about that. He prayed that we would be so united. And this is what Jesus said when Jesus prayed. He said that if we could be one, then the world would know that God was real. How cool is that? Don't you think we should strive for unity? But this is a time that we get to be united. Let's look at a beautiful story from the Old Testament to see what can happen when we come together to worship. And then we're going to practice. So David set up the system, right, for the singers and the choir and all of that. But he was never able to actually be in the temple that he wanted to build for God. His son Solomon was the one who actually carried out his father's plans and built the temple. And so this is what happened the first time that they ministered in that temple, 2 Chronicles 5, 11 through 14. And when the priests came out of the holy place, for all the priests who were present had consecrated themselves without regard to their divisions, and all the Levitical singers, Asaph, Heman, and Jeduthun, their sons and kinsmen, arrayed in fine linen with cymbals, harps, and lyres, stood east of the altar with 120 priests who were trumpeters. Think about that. 120 trumpets. Would y'all be good with that on a Sunday morning? That would be interesting. And it was the duty of the trumpeters and the singers to make themselves heard in unison 
in praise and thanksgiving to the Lord. And when the song was raised with trumpets and cymbals and other musical instruments in praise to the Lord, this is what they said, for he is good, for his steadfast love endures forever. And as they sang that, the house, the house of the Lord was filled with a cloud so that the priest could not stand to minister because of the cloud for the glory of the Lord filled the house. Can you see that? Here they are playing their instruments. People are singing. And then all of a sudden, the presence of God descends in the house. And it's so thick and it's so tangible that everybody just stops. One of my commentaries said this. It said, the apparent appearance of the cloud and the inability of the priest even to stand and minister in God's presence signified that God was taking up residence in his temple. Verse 11, for all the priests who were presented had consecrated themselves without regard to their divisions. So the priests had a system in place. They didn't have the temple, but they had a tabernacle. They were, they were already meeting together. And as a part of that system, certain priests were supposed to do certain things and serve at certain times and at certain places. But on this day, they let go of all the things that divided them. And they began to minister with one sound and one voice. And today, we are those priests. Today, we literally are that temple. We are the bodies housing the presence of God. This is what we do together every Sunday morning. We lay down our degrees. We lay down our backgrounds. We lay down our preferences. We lay down our opinions. And we become what we already are. We become one. We become one heart and one mind and one body and one spirit. The bride worshiping Jesus as one. It's so beautiful. Thank you for listening. To hear more messages like this one, make sure to subscribe and share our podcast. For more content from NCC and how to get connected, visit ncc.team.